you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, a physical copy with you, I would encourage you to take your phone out, open up your web browser, and go to Bible Gateway and open up to Acts chapter 3. Because we're going to be looking at uh, Acts 3 and 4, a story, a pretty phenomenal story out of those two chapters. And this morning what I wanted to do is just read through it and just highlight things uh, that come up and uh, teach into it that way. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture, Acts 3 and 4. And uh, I didn't want just everything to be up on the screen and to copy and paste all of those verses up on the screen. And so I uh, just want to invite you to open up your Bibles or your phones to uh, like Bible Gateway and uh, we'll read Acts 3 and 4. And over the last couple of weeks, we have been uh, talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And today is Pentecost Sunday, the, the day when, when we look back and we remember the Holy Spirit coming, uh, when believers were gathered together to pray, and then all of a sudden, boom, they were transformed, and they started to speak in other languages, and people heard uh, what they were saying, the marvelous works of God in their own language, and amazing things started to happen, and it was the birth of the church as, as Jesus told the, the disciples to wait until you receive power, until you're clothed with power from on high. And then you'll be my witnesses to uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. And over the last couple weeks, we've been talking about the, the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. To transform a group of believers into bold proclaimers of the gospel. We see that the Holy Spirit is a gift to lead us and to guide us and to direct us. The Holy Spirit is all about elevating and lifting up the name of Jesus and glorifying Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit leads this community to love one another, to care for one another. And it's been just great just to talk about the Holy Spirit and really, frankly, to remember the amazing gift that we have. That the very Spirit of God, the Spirit that hovered over the deep, all the way back in Genesis 1, is in us. And this morning we're going to get into Acts 3, but, but before we do, I want to share uh, just really briefly... Uh, just so you know kind of my heart and kind of where we're all coming from, just three little words that have been on my, my board in my office um, as I've been thinking and praying about Restoration Church. When it comes to uh, the, the first word, the thing that I want us to be about is, first of all, it's, it's this word content. What is the, the content of our lives or what is the, the confession of our heart? And I want us to always be about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, at the end of the day, that is the, the contribution that we can make to the world, to proclaim to this world that is sick and dying and, and broken relationship with the God of the universe, that you can be restored to the God of, God of the universe only through the blood of Jesus. And so everything that we will always be about, everything that I will always be about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Making sure that that is proclaimed, making sure that we are living that out, and making sure that we're challenging each other to live that out and to hunger and thirst for Jesus so much more. The second thing I've been thinking about is another C word, just to keep it easy uh, for me, is uh, connection. And one of the things that I have really grown to love about Restoration Church is what happens before and after. And I've said this from the very beginning. What happens before and after is just as important what happens during. Because the connections and the conversations that are happening, you just never know who God is going to connect. And I've heard numerous times where people said, I had this conversation with this person and it was exactly what I needed that day. We want to be people who are connected. And, and in Hebrews 10, it says, don't forsake meeting together, but encourage one another. Come together and encourage one another and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that is what happens as we connect with one another. We get to know each other and challenge each other and, and spur one another on to keep following Jesus. 
And so in many ways, I think of the church as this community within the world. It's a, a place where you can come, like here and in other places, and just gather. And it's like, okay, it's just a time of rest and be like, oh yeah, we're all about Jesus. That's why we're living our lives and encourage one another to do that. But the third thing, third C word that I've been thinking about is this word, conversations. And really to me what that communicates is we want to be a community within the world, but we want to be a community for the world. We want to be people who are sent from this place to go have conversations with people as the Spirit leads. To engage in those spiritual conversations and, and to ask questions that, that probe into people's lives to bring out you know, some of the, maybe the hurt and the stuff that they're dealing with so that we can minister the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I would love for us just to I keep track of in a, like a very analytical way, I guess, you know, even though I do have an accounting degree. Um, <laughs> but just to, just to celebrate times when we're having conversations with people. Times when we are asking the questions. Times when those conversations are going a little bit deeper. Because at the end of the day, that's what we can control. We're supposed to plant the seeds, you know, talk to people. At the end of the day, though, God causes those to grow. God changes a heart. So I want us to be about what we only can do, and that's to have those conversations. And then to step back and see what God does with that. And so we're going to be a people at Restoration Church that are all about the gospel, all about loving one another, and all about seeking to, to advance the gospel in this community. And as I look at Acts chapter 3... Uh, really blown away by a conversation that happened and just this interaction that happened when two guys were going to the temple one day. And I bet when they went to the temple that day, they weren't expecting what was about to happen. Have you ever had that uh, in, in your life when you were surprised, when, when you thought your day was going to go a certain way, but then something else happened and you were surprised? Tori over here, Todd talked about his uh, daughter getting married in two weeks. And when she was engaged... Uh, she was going to Chicago to thinking that she was going to go on a shopping trip, right? Shopping trip for your birthday. Mom and dad were going to buy you a bunch of things. It's pretty sweet, you know, and whatever. Uh, no, but going to a shopping trip to, uh, to Chicago, and then all of a sudden, at the end of that day, she was engaged. She had no idea. It just was a surprise. And we have those in our lives. We have those moments of surprise where all of a sudden, boom, something happens. We're like, we didn't see that coming. Remember a couple months ago running into somebody at Meyer and had a conversation in the toilet paper aisle for 45 minutes. And all of a sudden, boom, they're just like, this is what's going on. And I was surprised by that conversation. And I want to challenge us this morning to be open to surprises, to be open to what the Lord is going to do, to be open to having our lives altered a little bit. Now, confession, I don't like having my life altered. I like a plan, boom, boom, boom. But I want us to be people who are open to having our lives altered a little bit. So let's look at Acts chapter 3, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. I want to stop there. This is something that Peter and John have been doing for many, many years. As good Jewish boys, they would go to the temple to pray at a consistent time at 9 o'clock in the morning, at noon, at 3 in the afternoon. And so just part of the regular rhythm was, okay, they're going to go to the temple and pray. And the interesting thing about this verse, too, that, stuff, that popped out at me is Peter and John. Now, Peter and John, these are unlikely. This is an unlikely pair of people to be together. 
They were fishermen. But towards the end of the Gospels, you see that there's a little bit of, of tension, if you will, relational tension between Peter and John. At the end of the Gospel of John, you see that, that they're both running to the empty tomb. And if you read John 20, I believe it is, you see this back and forth. Like Peter said, I, I got to the tomb first. I beat John there. But when, I, when Peter went in, he didn't believe. But when John came in, he believed. And so there's this back and forth between Peter and John. And so they're going to the temple to pray. And it just is interesting that the Lord might connect you with somebody who you don't see eye to eye. Who might see things a little differently. And frankly, that's good. Because we don't have the whole picture on life. You need people with different perspectives and different point of views to come into your life and say, Hey, what about this? What about this? Peter was the one who was very outspoken. John was more of the, the quieter one, loving one. And so they're seeing things from a different perspective. And so they're going to the temple to pray. And this is what was going to happen. So they went to the temple to pray. And a man, verse 2, lame from birth, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. It's interesting, as Peter and John, they were going to the temple to pray. And as they saw this man who, for 40 years, we'll see later in the story that this man was four, over 40 years old. So really ancient. Over 40 years old. <laughs> Every day, being brought to the temple, laid at the temple, he would collect money, and then people would get him back up and bring him back home. Every single day, this is what happened for years. This was his story. This is what he thought life was going to be about. And he just did this over and over and over again. And what I love is that Peter and John went to the temple to pray, but frankly were willing to be interrupted as they saw this man. And it makes me think, what happens? What would happen in our life, in your life, if we were willing to be interrupted? You know, everything today is scheduled. You know, if you have kids and, and life is like, you're going here, there, and everywhere, and you look at your family calendar, and every hour is booked up. And so you're running from one thing to the next, and frankly, if I get into that mode, I can be oblivious to what God is doing. Because I'm just focused on going from here to here to here. But I wonder, what would happen if we were a little bit more or less scheduled? If we had space in our life to be interrupted, to be spontaneous? What would happen if we would leave room for that? Because Peter and John are like, I gotta, we got to go to the temple to pray, to have these conversations. And all of a sudden, they're willing to be interrupted, and this is what happened. Just, but Peter, verse 6, said to this man who was asking for money, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and immediately raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, I love this. Peter and John, they go to the temple, and this man asks for money. And Peter and John's response was like, hey, we don't have any money. Silver and gold, we don't have, because we've given up the last three years of our life to following Jesus. We were successful fishermen, but we left our careers, and we followed Jesus. And so we don't have any money. 
But what we do have, we give you, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Every time I read that, the thing that comes out is, we might think that we don't have anything to give. We might think, oh, we don't have money or we don't have a talent. But the truth of the matter is, you always have something to give. You have always have something to offer. We have to start looking at ourselves a little bit differently. And instead of looking at our limitations, look at the one who is with us, who empowers us, who has put us in certain situations to pray, to offer up hope. You and I always have something to give. At the end of the day, even if you pray with somebody, even if you speak a word of encouragement to them, that is so powerful. We need to stop looking at ourselves and just quantifying ourselves and start thinking, you know what? We always have something to give no matter where we are, no matter where we go. And I love that instantly, as they, they talked to this man, they picked him up and instantly he was healed. That is such a reminder of the power of God. The power of God to work in a person's life and to transform them in an instant. In an instant, he went from being lame and not being able to walk for 40 years to all of a sudden you see the picture of him leaping and dancing and praising God. He's jumping up and down praising God. And what a spectacle that was. Just so excited because he went from not being able to walk to all of a sudden being able to walk. This man's life was completely transformed in an instant. And you know when you meet that person who just has been touched by the Lord, how their worship is just so excited. And they're like, I can't believe what God has done. This is what's happening in this man's life. And I think about that and the thought that just came to me is we have to keep that. Because too often we can lose that excitement from the Lord because we're like, oh, well, we just go through life and we just kind of expect things to happen. But we have, and I pray this, that's why we have to pray constantly, Lord, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Have that joy saying, you know what? I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. And it's all because of Jesus. The other thing that stands out to me about this section is the man. You know, he came to the temple. And it kind of saddens me because he came to the temple and all he was asking was for some money. And he was at the temple and the temple was God's house in the day. It was a place where the spirit of God dwelled. Here he was coming to the temple and he was settling for just a couple points. And it makes me think, do we settle when we come to God? Say, I just want a little bit. I just want a couple points. When we see from this story, God wanted to do so much more in his life. Wanted him to be healed. Wanted his, his, his life to be restored. And so are we, as we're going through our lives, are we limiting God? I think one of the things that we have to really step into over and over again is continue to have this childlike faith. Saying, like, God, with you, anything is possible. You can move mountains. You can, can calm the, the storms in my life. You can transform situations. Here, this man is only asking for a couple points when God wanted to do so much more in his life. And so at the end of the day, here he is, worshiping God. Standing, jumping, leaping, praising God. Because the work of God, anytime you see a profound work of God, it always must lead to worship of God. And so here he was. And it filled, people were filled with wonder and amazement. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have like looked at that situation and been like, okay, that's a good day. Time to go. But Peter takes advantage of the situation and speaks up like he always does. Let's, let's keep reading verse 11. It says, while he, the man, clung to Peter and John... All the people 
utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. This was a place where thousands of people would gather and listen to lectures and, and hear different teachings. And can you just imagine that scene, this guy just clinging to Peter and John? Like, I'm not letting you go. You just transformed my life. Like, I'm not letting you out of my sight. And people are like, what happened? This person has been transformed. It says, when they saw Peter, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see, and now, and the faith that is, and know, I'll go back. Faith in his name, he has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect help in the presence of you all. What's absolutely amazing is Peter says to him, hey, remember that Jesus guy? Remember that Jesus guy that you delivered? Remember that Jesus guy that you denied? Remember that Jesus guy that you wanted to be put to death and then you asked for a criminal to be released? Remember him? Remember the author of life who you killed? Who I always think that's a funny phrase. You killed the author of life. <laughs> God raised him from the dead. See, you thought, Peter saying, you thought you got rid of, rid of Jesus, but actually he is now not just risen from the dead. He is glorified, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is still at work changing people's lives, ministering to people, healing people, and he's doing it, empowering believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's through faith in the name of Jesus that this man walks, that this man has been healed. And I love that there's power in the name of Jesus. It's all by faith in the name of Jesus. There's power in it. And so they're saying Jesus is the one who has always been at work and has continued to be at work transforming people's lives. And so they proclaim his greatness. They proclaim his goodness. You know, I've always gotten uncomfortable when people will say this person or that person has a healing ministry. When someone says, Dave, you have a ministry. And I understand what they're saying, but I want to be clear about this. I don't have a ministry. You don't have a ministry. Jesus has a ministry. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one who is transforming people's lives. But how is he doing it? He's doing it at, by seated at the right hand of the Father. He's doing it by empowering ordinary people like you and I with the gift of his spirit to minister to people. But it's not you or I who's doing it. It's Jesus who's doing it through the work of the Holy Spirit through our lives. And so that's what Peter's testifying to. He's like, Jesus is at work. He's still alive. It's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man was made well. But then he goes on. Verse 17, he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouths of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, for you, Jesus. Peter challenges him. And he says, this physical miracle is absolutely amazing. But what you desperately need, all of those who were present, what you desperately need is a change of heart. Because a man who was crippled, who was healed, is no longer with us. He died years ago. And so the most important thing is for a person's heart to be transformed. And so Peter uses this opportunity, this miracle, proclaims the message of Jesus. 
And so that's what we always have to be about, taking every situation to make sure that we're proclaiming boldly what people desperately need, and that's the gospel to know that their lives or their sins can be forgiven, but it's only through the blood of Jesus. And so Peter shares about Jesus and invites these people who probably were in the crowd crying out, crucify him, inviting them to repent, to have their mind changed about Jesus by giving them a picture of Jesus. And so this caused a stir in Peter and John. It was later in the evening. Peter and John got into trouble. And they were thrown into to prison. They're like, you know what? We can't deal with these guys right now. So we're going to throw them into jail right now overnight. And we'll deal with it tomorrow morning. And here they bring in some higher power people and have another conversation. And look at Acts chapter 4, verse 5. More people start asking them questions. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priest family. And when they had sat, set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? How did this happen? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I underline that in my Bible, filled with the Holy Spirit. This wasn't Peter just acting out in a natural ability. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the very Spirit of God, and this is what he says to them. He says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And here he boldly proclaims Jesus. And Peter is boldly proclaiming Jesus to the very rulers that would have sentenced Jesus to death. What a picture of God's love for people. God loves even his enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. And here Jesus is specifically loving his enemies. The very ones that crucified him. They're sending Peter and John to say, hey, put your faith in Jesus. I'm giving you another chance. But the other thing that this section screams out is this is what separates us as Christians. Because there is only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus. There is salvation in no other name. People can say, well, you know, this religion or that religion, or if I just try harder, I feel like this will get me to heaven. No, there is only one name under heaven by which people can be saved, and his name is Jesus. It's like if you were going out to, to, to the state park, to, to um, Holland State Park, and you're like, I'm going to go up uh, Highway 31. I'm going to go up Interstate 31, and I'm going to get there. You're like, no, that's not the road to get there. But hey, I feel it's the right road. I, I'm sincere in driving up that way. You're like, it's not going to get you there if you're going up 31. The only way to get to the state park is to go down Otto Beach Road. Mm -hmm. There are so many people who want the reward of heaven, the benefit of heaven, but they don't want to have a relationship with the only one who promises to give them eternal life mm -hmm. in Jesus. We as believers have to be clear on this. There is only one way by which people can be saved, and his name is Jesus. And so mm -hmm. Peter is boldly proclaiming this. And then it says this in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were amazed. 
the high priest are amazed that these ordinary people were doing the extraordinary. They were like, how are they doing this? Well, what set them apart was that they had been with Jesus. See, the guys who were asking them the questions knew the word. They had memorized it. But these disciples knew the word, knew Jesus incarnate, had a relationship with him. And that relationship transformed every aspect of their lives. And people could tell, you know what? They have been with Jesus. There's something different about them. And the story goes on. We'll wrap it up, 14 through 22. But seeing the man who was healed, standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Mm. What a story. Here was this man. And they're like, we want, to, we want to shut these disciples up. We want to shut them up and tell them, stop talking about Jesus. But we can't deny that a huge move of God had happened. As I reflect on this story, there's three questions that I want us to ask. The first question is this. Are we looking at the scheduled and spontaneous moments in our lives appropriately? I wanted to, frankly, ask the question, are we being spontaneous? Are we just being like, ooh, go over here, spontaneous, and are we willing to have our lives upended? But I was really convicted, are we willing to look at the scheduled and the spontaneous appropriately? You know, many of us have scheduled lives. Many of us have things that we have to do from 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock at night, or 7 o'clock in the morning to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, or if you work third shift from like 10 o'clock at night to 5 o'clock in the morning. We all have different parts of our lives that are scheduled. We have places that we have to be. And I wonder what would happen, just like the disciples were going to the temple to pray at a certain time. I wonder what would happen if we looked at those times appropriately. If we looked at, you know what, i got to go to work or I have to go to school. But you know what, I'm going to those places not as Dave, but as somebody who is an ambassador of God. Who's sent there to proclaim the good news that I have found in Jesus Christ. If we look at ourselves and our first priority as being, you know what, we're looking to build relationships with people who don't know Jesus, to have those conversations. Students, you can go into the schools, you can go in and have these conversations. I can't go in and have the conversations, but you can have those conversations. You can strike up this, those, those moments and, and talk to people about Jesus. You know, I was thinking uh, this week too, you know, people say, well, they took prayer out of the school. Well, years ago, yeah, school has changed and they've taken organized prayer out of the schools. However, Prayer has not been taken out of school because, students, you are in the school and you can pray. Amen. We have to look at ourselves as being people who are sent to different places. Those scheduled times to say, you know what, I'm here at work, I'm here at school, I'm here wherever, I'm here in this neighborhood to proclaim Jesus. To do a good job, but ultimately to point people to Jesus. But we also have to look at those moments where God brings somebody into our lives and say, you know what, are we taking advantage of those spontaneous moments? Those moments where we're talking to somebody and saying, you know what? This conversation is a little bit different. God, what do you want to do 
in, in this person's life as I'm talking to them. As I meet them at Meyer and they're, they're pouring out their hearts, okay, I can't just go and buy TP and move on and say, okay, oh well, no God, what are you doing in this moment? And so are you and I willing to be interrupted? Are you and I willing to have our day go off course a little bit? Second question I would ask is this, what separates us or what sets us apart? In that story, the high priests, they knew that these men had been with Jesus. And they were blown away. They're like, these events are happening by ordinary people. And these religious guys were wrestling with like, you know what? God is moving through these ordinary people. And it blew them away. But what set them apart was Jesus. They had encountered Jesus. They had their lives transformed by the King of kings and Lord of lords. But also, I would argue that they sat with Jesus and were with Jesus on a regular basis. John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. How do we bear much fruit? It starts with being with Jesus. Jesus would often go and spend hours praying with the Father. He goes, I only do what I see the Father doing. Mm-hmm. Or that story in Luke chapter 10, where Mary and Martha are going back and forth, and Martha is going around the house and, and being busy, and, and Jesus is there, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, you know what? Mary has chosen the best option, sitting at his feet. Mm. What would happen if you and I sat at the feet of Jesus and were transformed by him and allowing his presence just to, to refill us, to refresh our souls. I dare say people will notice, you know what? They've been with Jesus. There's something different about that. And the third question that I would ask is this. Who are we obeying? The apostles had a very specific question. Told them, like, stop, they were told, stop talking about Jesus. And Peter says, no, who are we going to obey? Are we going to obey the God of the universe or are we going to obey you? You know what? We're going to choose God. There is so much opposition in this world to the gospel. But at the end of the day, are we going to give in to that opposition? Are we going to, go, are we going to become quieter? Or are we going to become more bold in our obedience and saying, you know what? We have found our hope in Jesus. And we're going to be bold. We're going to obey. We're going to be bold in our faith. I want us to be people like, that are living out this story in Acts 3 and 4. That are going to the temple, going to different places and saying, okay, God, what do you want to do here? Empower me and fill me to proclaim your word with great.